Australia, South Africa, day five at the Sydney Cricket Ground. Jeff Lemon, Barrett Cinderacen, and the sun is out. If you're listening to this on audio, you won't know this, but Barrett, we're standing in glorious sunshine. Glorious sunshine. I'm melting here. I can barely uh, keep my eyes open because the sun is in my eyes. But this is also the, fin- the final, final word daily for the test summer in Australia. That's true. That's true. The last time that you and I will be together in this format for a little while. Uh, but... I've got to do a 30-second summary. Yes, what happened on day five? Let's go. South Africa drew the test match. So we thought that maybe they probably would, but Australia needed to strike early in the morning and couldn't. Simon Harman, Keshav Maharaj, Marco Janssen did a bit. Only one wicket in two and a half hours in the first session. They were bowled out short of the follow-on just after lunch for 2.55, but they'd eaten up enough overs in the day. Only 57 overs left for Australia. And as much as they had a few close calls, they couldn't get those inroads two down for 108 by the end uh, and South Africa lose the series 2-0 instead of 3-0. Not bad result for South Africa you would think eventually uh, because it, it, their batting has been so poor Jeffrey that was the only reason that we also we even thought or Australia even thought that they could get 14 wickets on the final day. Don't forget if you go back to the start, the build-up to the series, it was supposed to be the heavyweight clash between one and two. Nobody at that point would have thought uh, uh, Australia would go into the final day of the final test with the yeah. chance of taking 14 wickets. Uh, but that wasn't to be. And a lot of credit to South Africa, especially Kesho Maharaj and Simon Harmer for the way they batted in the first session. That's where they sort of killed the game off for Australia. They couldn't get to the follow-on or they couldn't save the follow-on. They got within 22 runs or 21 runs. Uh, but still, uh, Australia had, what, 47 overs left to bowl out South Africa a second time. They couldn't. And uh, Sarah Lavia batted really well. He's batted well throughout the series. But I think the fact that today he got past his previous highest score in this series, when he made his 22nd run, kind of sums up where South Africa have gone <laughs> wrong in the series. Uh, Dean Elgar gloving one down the leg side again. Is that four times in the series that he's been out in the same way, just reaching around his body? And the three times doing that in uh, the first innings, of course, he played like this uh, truncated pull shot, which uh, or attempted pull where he again edged it down the leg side. Uh, look, some batters might think oh, I've been strangled down the leg side. Some batters might feel they're unlucky. But you can't be unlucky if that is the opposition team's plan and you keep falling for it. Pat Cummins is aimed at Dean Elgar's armpit, a, a statement I can only use in a cricketing cricketing in, in, <laughs> in cricketing terms and every time he's edged uh, it down to Alex Carey that means Dean Elgar finished with a, a, a series average of 9.33 the fifth worst ever for a visiting opener on Australian soil uh, the last two names Wasim Jafar uh, averaged eight point something and I don't think he played uh, much test cricket or of any test cricket after that uh, Dean Elgar though is South African test captain I was just listening to him in the post match presentation. Uh, he feels that he can fight back. He still has a good record against, uh, uh, or a good record in South Africa. And, and funnily enough, South Africa go back home and they face who or who else but the West Indies who were also beaten by Australia here. But when Craig Brathwaite and Dean Elgar walk out for the toss, Craig Brathwaite will be like, I scored 100 and I averaged nearly 40 in that series. 
It's good to have a little edge on your opponent somewhere or other. Um, look, the pitch, it wasn't a proper day five pitch. It wasn't falling apart. There were some areas of rough, mainly from Marco Janssen, the left mm. armour, uh, when he was bowling because he was, you know, the, when he comes over the wicket. So it was outside the right-handers off stump. That gave Nathan Lyons something to aim at. It made him quite dangerous. He was getting the ball to jump and spit. But the pitch wasn't as worn and difficult and there wasn't that much in it for the fast bowlers so particularly when they bowled short the ball just sort of came through spongy and slow it didn't come through with menace and so uh, that's that's where I think Simon Harmer took the initiative he played the pull shot immediately every time they bowled short to him he played a pull shot and aside from his first one which was a big whack off the top edge that went for four he didn't try to hit it too hard he just rolled his wrists over the top and took singles off the pull shot and eventually they realised, well, bowling the short ball to him isn't going to work too well today. Marco Janssen just blocked and defended, scored one run in the first hour and then got out. I didn't think that was that helpful. Like It, it, doesn't, it doesn't help move South Africa towards avoiding the follow-on, which would have been the best way to kill the game almost immediately, um, or at least set up a chance for them to win the game if Australia really wanted to roll the dice. Uh, but Harmer did move the game along, he did score, and then when uh, when Janssen is out, when Travis Head gets a wicket, comes in and looks a million bucks immediately, gets the outside edge to carry, and then Maharaj comes in and decides, I'm going to chance my arm today, swings the bat, slices one from Cummins over gully, whacks a couple through the leg side on the pull shot, and then he's up and running, hits some boundaries down the ground, uh, smacks line for six over deep mid-wicket, got dropped by Travis Head hitting one back at the bowler. There were a couple uh, off Harmer as well that weren't picked up at short leg and, and one that might have been caught behind. It would have been interesting to see what would have happened yeah. if that was reviewed with a tiny little bobble on, on the snicko. But chances that Australia could have taken to try to get themselves ahead in the game. But still, it looked that this pitch looks good enough to bat on that I think even if it had been 67 overs or 70 overs, South Africa probably would have got through it. Oh, they would have, and uh, you have to put it into perspective also that 170 overs were lost. So uh, basically, we are where should we, we should be at the end of day three. And if you look at Australia's position, they're in a strong position to have finished this game off on day four. So the fact that they made a match of it just tells you how good Australia are, but also how bad South Africa have been with the bat. I mean, it took a partnership between Hammer and Maharaj to bail them out of trouble. Uh, they were 6 for 149 when play finished yesterday. Uh, and I think the, when Australia look back, when they review today's day, uh, today's play, I think, they, I wouldn't say they missed a trick, but I thought they went for the second new ball a bit too early. They, they took it as soon as it became available. Uh, because they are using this test match as a dress rehearsal in some sense for India, that's something they should learn. Uh, or they will learn uh, because the second new ball is always tempting but in, in on these dry surfaces if the old ball is doing enough like it was for Travis Head he got that wicket uh, like you said he could have got another wicket as well the cotton bowl the catch at leg slip or at short leg went down uh, and there was some reverse swing on offer as well. Maybe they could have persisted with it for five six overs maybe something could have happened but once they went for the second new ball it means that either you know the ball starts swinging which it did, does generally does not or you have to wait for another 18 19 overs for the ball to start reversing again and that's where i thought uh, uh, south africa batted well the ball started coming on maharaj and hammer started timing the ball a lot better uh, and the game sort of slipped away from from australia but they clawed it back wonderfully and there were two periods of play when josh hazel would bowl with the second new ball once it was 18 to 19 overs old when the ball started reversing a lot uh, he took two two wickets and uh, uh, knocked over the 
tail and that's what restricted South Africa from uh, uh, saving the follow-on. And late in the day when Pat Cummins had a new ball in his hand or a, or a ball in his hand which was around 27, 28 overs old, I would uh, like to believe. And he bowled that 5-6 over burst where he was getting it to go all, all around. Like his outswinger with the reverse swinging ball was outstanding, his in-swinger as well. And those are the only opportunities Australia really had. Nathan Lyon created a lot of chances. He could have got three LBWs going his way. All went to umpire's call. And eventually you could see Nathan Lyon was just, did not know what to say. He was really angry with the world and understandably so. Well, look, I mean, the Nathan Lyons situation, I can understand this because he's bowling very wide of the off stump. He's getting a lot of turn, getting it to turn back in. And basically, as an umpire, you tend to know that if that ball hits in line with the stumps, then it's probably missing leg stump. So that's what Paul Rifle decided twice uh, in the second innings of the match. And then there was another one in the, the third innings that was a similar. But, but that, was, that was ruled for hitting outside the line of the stumps. So that was umpire's call on whether it had hit... Uh, this was Heinrich Klaas and whether it had hit him outside the line, that was umpire's call, given not out, stayed not out, even though it was going on to hit middle stump. And the Paul Rifle ones would maybe clipping leg stump, umpire's call on leg stump. So I thought that's fair enough for an umpire to decide not to give that. You know, if you're a bowler and you want to bowl a foot and a half outside off stump and turn it back, yeah. how is an umpire supposed to reliably gauge whether that's going to hit the stumps or not? So on, on umpire's call, it wasn't necessarily, even though Lyon was frustrated, uh, he would have been more frustrated by the third low catch overturned oh, in this yeah. match, though. So this is, you know, three balls after he's had this close LBW against Klaas and turns oh, down, turned down. The, <laughs> the edge goes to Smith at slip, and you've heard this story before. He goes low, his hands are on the ground, his fingers are on the ground, and basically, I mean, I've gone back and forth on this through the test match. I, I understand Richard Kettleborough's interpretation, because if you take a letter of the law yes. uh, interpretation, then that's correct. I also agree with a sentiment that I've seen expressed which is that this is reinterpreting how we've understood catches what, what we've understood a catch to mean for a long period of yeah. time basically this means that if your hand is on the ground you can't take a catch mm. because a third umpire can overrule it I hope this interpretation is left behind in this test match rather than coming on uh, in, into future test matches but it seems the like you said yesterday or Kettlebra had to be consistent yes. but the, this third one seemed the most clearly like a clean catch of the lot. His hand, sure, his hand is on the ground, but you can see his hand is on the ground before the ball has arrived. Yeah. The ball arrives, lands on his fingers, um, and yeah, presses his fingers down because it's landed on them, but he's taken that catch, for my opinion. Yeah, I mean, the only confusion for Richard Kettleborough today was because the way the ball ended up in Steve Smith's hands, it, it almost was like uh, imagine, between the middle finger and the index finger, like an off-spinner's grip. So, as a result, you could see grass there, right? Because it's it, the, the fingers were split. You can see the ball and you can see the grass when, when his hand is on the ground. And, you know, once he had given those not out in the first innings and the second innings, you got a feeling, you kind of knew he was going that way. You could see the body language of the Australians as well. It wasn't like how it was yesterday or how the South Africans' body language was on day one. They kind of kept looking at the screen, almost expecting it to be not out. I did, I did notice Nathan Lyon walked away at one point. Again, he at this point, he's seething, right? He doesn't know what to do. Does he kick the ground? He doesn't want to be seen doing that. So he just goes and like plays around with the soil, like scratches the surface angrily. I mean, not the pitch, actual pitch, but uh, two pitches down one of the side wickets. Uh, yeah, I think 
it was always going to happen. Once it was during this test match. Thankfully, it's the last test of the series, so Richard Kettleborough and all the umpires can sit and review this call and maybe uh, work around the interpretation when it happens the next time. Uh, but yeah, I mean, you knew one. There was one more to come, right? There was one more to come, which will decide um, which way the interpretation goes. Uh, but look, I think by then, South Africa had done well. Uh, I, Credit to Saral Avia, I thought he batted really well in the second innings. Uh, even when Pat Cummins was getting the ball to go reverse, uh, he batted well. Heinrich Klaassen came out. I thought the pull shot he played to get off the mark told me that South Africa is safe at that point. Because in the first innings, he comes out and tries to bat like a test number three and he looked all out of sorts. Today, he batted like Heinrich Klaassen and even though he was knocked over by an outstanding delivery from Josh Hazelwood, till that point, he'd done well and he looked like a test batter. So there is something to uh, for South Africa to look for forward to in Heinrich Klassen in Test Cricket. Let's talk about the, those Josh Hazelwood deliveries because in the, the second match innings, the first South African innings, it's subtle reverse swing. I mean, they've had this annoying partnership, 85, I think, between Harmer and Maharaj. Harmer's gone about it one way. He's made 47, batting sedately, quietly, just picking up runs here and there, faced 165 balls, I think it was. Maharaj clouded 53 in much quicker time, much more counter-attacking. The first we've seen from him with the bat that that's actually been of the quality that he can reach in this series. So it's this annoying partnership for the Australians and then Hazelwood comes in with just subtle reverse swing, swings one in to smash Maharaj on the knee roll first, that's going on to hit the top of middle and then he gets one to move in to Harmer, take the inside edge back onto the stumps. But then in the second South African innings, the third match innings, the one that he bowls to Klaassen, I mean, it was like I'll go and watch that one back a number of times later on this evening just for personal reasons yeah. it it swings in substantially but then it hits the seam and goes bananas off the seam like it comes in so far smashes middle stump he's nowhere near it he's got no chance to get it I mean it was worth sitting here for the last couple of hours just for that Hazelwood delivery and with that one delivery, I think Josh Hazelwood has ensured he'll play the first test. Trust me on this one. Because that was just magical, classical reverse swing. Reverse swing is not just the ball going late. It's when it leaves the batter's eye line. That's what Wakar, the great Wakar Yunus used to do. The ball goes away. So if I'm the right-hander, the ball's going like that. And then late movement in. And that's exactly what had happened. And then there, there was movement off the pitch as well. It was one of the deliveries of the summer. Josh Hazelwood uh, left it very very late to produce it uh, but I think he's earned his spot in that playing 11 based purely I mean he's done other things as well over the years he played the first test in 2017 as well but that one ball also tells you how far he's developed with his reverse swing bowling. The final word Hall of Fame where we pick the moment we've enjoyed most out of the day brought to you by woodstockcricket.co.uk they make the best cricket bats in the world you get 20% off one with TFW20, just put that in the checkout when you pick up your bat. Now, for me it was this. Um, well, I'll give an honourable mention to the Sydney crowd. 120,000 plus people came, even though it was raining for the first four days. I mean, extraordinary commitment to actually show up when so little play was expected on most of those days. When you walk around the ground here, you find games of cricket breaking out everywhere. You know, kids all over the place, they play in the concourses, they play in the tiled area down here below us in the bar, they play outside in the in the perimeter streets. There are games all over the place and there are parents bowling, you know, little chucking them down to their kids and whatever it is. When I arrived today, there was a dad with three children, he had two boys and a girl, you know, not little, like maybe sort of 12, 13, 14 kind of age. They weren't bowling, they weren't batting. He had them arranged in a slips cordon 
and he was giving them fielding drills. Oh, wow. He's standing there, piffing the ball as hard as he can at third slip, gets it back, bang at first slip, gets it back, bang at second, like the way the Australians will do in the middle of the ground warming up or any team, you know, with the, the dummy bat sort of edging it. To, he had the family arrayed in a slip cordon and he was just testing their reflex, just drill, one, one, third, second, third, first, second, first, third, bang. And they were all nailing their catches and dishing it back. I mean, this was a highly organised family unit. Hall of Fame for you. Uh, was it an Australian, like, uh, trust me, that family has made a trip to India at some point because that's how as kids, whether it's your father or whoever, that's what we do a lot when you are young in grade. Slip catching is such a major part of India or Indian cricket or like when you brought up in Indian cricket. Not that you end up standing at fourth slip ever while growing up <laughs> playing cricket in India, <laughs> but I know all about fourth slip catching. Yeah. My Hall of Fame, I, I did tweet this out, but I have to mention it. Drinks break, and I love watching drinks break. Always, there's always something up. Peter Hansker back in the test squad, comes out with two eskies and three bananas. And generally, especially if it's a banana, you would hold it in your hand because it's unsafe when left on the ground. But I noticed with my binoculars, he left it right, not right next to the esky, but a few inches away from the esky, where there was a lot of movement, like all the players were getting into a huddle and talking. Over. I had saw at least three fielders, Manas in particular at one point, just missed the banana. I don't even think he realized there were bananas there and three uneaten bananas. And that could have caused a major issue. Australia have already lost Green and Stark. Imagine if they had lost a couple of players because they stepped on a banana left by Peter Hanscom. Unless that's what he wants. <laughs> <laughs> that's how he gets back into the team. Yeah, and, and, and I noticed once the players had cleared, he picked up the bananas and like uh, oh. put them in his pocket. So maybe it was intentional. Oh, maybe next to a toasted cheese sandwich. If you go to the team hotel and you find bananas down the hallways, down the staircase, you know, suddenly everybody gets a message on the group saying, oh, urgent meeting, uh, team meeting, and they have to run down the banana staircase, then you'll know. All right, I think that's it for us. Uh, this has been the Final Word Daily all through the Australian summer, the test summer. We'll be back once we get to India for more yeah. Test Match Daily shows, uh, I'll be there, Bharat will be there, Adam Collins will be there. Uh, we will work things out as we go along, but we've got a big, big year coming up. There's Men's and Women's Ashes Series, there's a World Cup later in the year. If you want to get on board and support the show, this is a great time to do it because we've got so much coming up. We've got so many shows to make. So patron.com slash thefinalword. You can get on there. You can play the game of Nerd Pledge on the history show that we do. You can get involved in the online chat community that we have, which has hundreds of beautiful people in there hanging out. There were a bunch of them here having a meet-up today, just hanging out watching the cricket. This is the kind of nice community that's built up around the final word over the years. So get involved. You can stand around in the sunshine with me and Bharat and talk about the cricket. Why not? Final word daily, Jeff Lemon, Barrett Sunderason. See you soon. I ain't breezing and I ain't George Benson. I ain't protected by the right ain't fenced. And if my future questions, my current senses, that'll be the same we've been doing for centuries. Sorry if I ran out to empty, wrote this so you know what I meant here. I had to go about it.